yes, you put in a hard day's work, but do not let it consume you. You have, you have to balance your life. It, you, actually, you're, you're actually more productive when you balance your life. You know, you put in the day's work, and sometimes if you have those projects you have to get done, it's all about time management. So you just have to have the time management in place where you're not burning yourself out because you can suffer burnout in this business if you let it happen to you. Welcome to The Defense Never Rests with Morgan and Akins, your monthly dose of uncommon sense about all things legal and some that are not. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of The Defense Never Rests. I'm your host, Megan Henry, again, joined by my favorite co-host, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> I, how are you? I'm great this morning. Um, and I, I'm excited that today we have on Derek Mullen, who he is uh, Assistant VP of Claims at Seneca Insurance, um, but has been in the industry for over 20 years. Wow. Um, yeah. And mostly with the same company, which you don't hear of very much anymore. No, 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 no. That's fantastic. He must, I, I mean, I'm sure he has some some tips <laughs> that he could he could fill us in on because that's that's a long time to be at you know in one industry. Yes, and you know he he also played college basketball and he he brings in this whole you know team aspect mentality to you know claims and how management and how his company is run and how he runs his team. Uh, and yeah. I I think it's just a a great takeaway and. Um, how his company's managed from the, the top down, I think is is great. So with that, let's bring him in. Good morning, Derek. Welcome to the Defense Never Rest. I'm so happy to have you. How are you this morning? I'm doing pretty good. And, how, and yourself? I'm great. I mean, I'm good, but it's almost May. I think it's like 45 degrees out in New Jersey. <laughs> and I'm not happy. Yeah. I just went on a walk with my neighbor and her dog and I had to wear my winter coat. So I'm not um, thrilled with that, but it's sunny. <laughs> well, we can we we can take the sun uh, as long as it's not cold, rainy, and uh, snowy. And so uh, we'll take what we can get and wait for the later. You know, later on we will start complaining that it's too hot. I I know. <laughs> I always remind myself that, like, whenever I complain about it, it's cold, I'm like, oh, but in July and August we all complain that it's so hot yep. and humid and how miserable it is. So you know, we had a up. teaser though a couple of weeks ago where it was like 75 and sunny and perfect. And then I think the next week it snowed. Yeah. You yeah. know what I did? I had like all these like seedlings growing in my house, like, you know, like, I don't know, much cilantro and stuff. I was like, oh, great. It's I'll put it outside. And now they're all dead. Yeah, I know. It's, it's cruel. Uh, it was cruel. <laughs> anyway, we're not here to talk about, talk about my right. lack of gardening skills. <laughs> and my, I have no green thumb and I kill everything. Me um, neither. I'm amazed this plant over here is still alive, but it's kind of hanging on by a thread. You know, I, I have to say though, I, it's just real quick. I was, I have three succulent plants because I figured succulents, you don't have to like care for them too much, but they were dying. They just were dying. They were in a perfect sunlight. I was like giving them water and then I was just annoyed with them. So I put them over there and, and they're thriving now that I have forgotten about them completely. Yeah, that's So exactly. So there's pro tip for anybody. Forget has about the plants in there. Just <laughs> okay. let them let them do their thing. They don't need you. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're we're not here to talk about plants. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> a, well, no, it's fine. But last I checked, this isn't a gardening podcast. Maybe we'll do an offshoot. That, Maybe it that, should be. <laughs> <laughs> Melissa and I talk about how we ignore our plants and we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> so right. follow our tips. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, experts. But, we're here to talk about Derek <laughs> and claims. So, you know, Derek, you've been in claims for a really long time. Um, but how did you get there? Like, you know, because your background is in, you have a, like an engineering and science background. So yeah, that... how did that segue into claims? Please tell me. <laughs> well, actually, Honestly, you know, I, I do have a an engineering computer engineering degree. I graduated from uh, Gardner Webb University, and you know, back in you know back in the mid to late '80s, early '90s, you know, trying to find something in the computer field was a bit bit difficult, bit challenging. Um, so I I I really re this this just goes back way in in memory. Sitting, you know, sitting in my late grandparents' house and, you know, looking through the paper, trying to find jobs. Then I see this this big ad in the sports section, believe it or not, Hartford Insurance. 
Hartford Insurance, uh, entry level, um, inside claims rep, college degree, no experience. So I said, well, you know, well, let me give this a shot here. I needed a job. And I said, I knew nothing about insurance, to be honest with you, other than my parents used to pay my car insurance. But the, other than that, I knew nothing about insurance. I said, this is going to be a quick stop where it's just going to be a bridge to until I get a job in the computer field. And, you know, 20 some odd, 30, actually 30, 30 some odd years later, I'm still doing the same thing. I, I guess I was good at it. I liked what I was doing. I was hungry back then. I was very hungry to, for knowledge. I wanted to learn. And I had, a, had quite a few mentors that kind of pushed me through. And probably two or three years into it, I got a call from Xerox, um, Can Enrico, um, Con Edison. They called me up, you know, for opportunity. And by that time, the money that I was making in the insurance industry was more than what they were going to pay me. And I had a young family at that point in time. So, and, and I learned to just love, love the industry. And that's, that's why I'm still here. And then going to retire as an insurance professional. And it's been a rewarding career for me, to be honest with you. It's been a long road, uh, but it's had its ups and downs. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, uh, it's, I've made a pretty good living off of it. Raised, raised two, you know, two beautiful adult daughters and uh, got me a nice home and, I get to, you know, it's, it's, it was really a rewarding, rewarding, um, looking back on the, the long and hard road that I had. So that's how I started. Uh, never look back. Well, what I think, what sticks out to me too, is like, I find it fat, knowing how things are now with, you know, tech, it's crazy to think that you graduated and that, you know, with a computer engineering degree and like, I, I, I didn't have, you know, ample opportunities at that time whereas now like i don't know you see all the, the you know things about tech careers and it's like a total 180 but i'm so happy that you know you saw you saw that ad and you you took the turn to insurance and then made just a, a wonderful career for yourself out of it it was kind of smart for them to put the ad in the sports section yes right because they <laughs> they knew you were gonna see it right <laughs> look i don't know i, I can't speak on you know that's the first thing I used to look at in the papers, the sports section. Good <laughs> and, you know, then I go to there. the other stuff. So it's look, maybe they were targeting a specific type, uh, you know, of person. But you know, um, it's funny that my first interview there, I, you know, I played college basketball, and the first thing we were talking about was sports. I think that probably carried, you know, uh, probably was an asset to me getting uh, to where I am today. Is you know my sports background as well, because a lot of times you're sitting there getting interviewed and they're interested in your sporting career stuff. So it's, uh, it's just opened up a lot of uh, channels for me, uh, college, you know, sports and, mm -hmm. and how they kind of wrote me in through uh, sports by putting an ad in the sports section in the paper. <laughs> and it seems like so many of the claims addressers that we speak with, they, like they, they didn't necessarily, you know, graduate college or high school thinking that, oh, I want to go into claims. Like that wasn't their dream when they were a kid, but then they get there and they love it. And like, what do you think your strength was specifically that sort of like lent you to this job? Well, I think my, one of my strengths was, you know, like my late, my late grandfather instilled in me a determination, hard work. And, and I remember when I first started in the industry where one of my mentors, uh, you know, um, one of the attorneys at the law firm said to me that, Derek, you're going to have to work twice as hard as everyone else to get to where you're going. And I always, it was always instilled to me through my parents, my grandparents, that I'm going to work as hard as I can. And I think that when you're working, especially in claims, you have to treat the, you have to treat the money as if it's your money. You know, you're going to be fair and reasonable. You're not, you're not going to be taken advantage of. But I, I just really think that it's something to where somebody would say, Derek, you can't do it. But I always say I can do it. And no matter what I'm, what I'm doing, if it's playing basketball, trying to make the basketball team, or if it's having goals to one day becoming a, a vice president or a senior vice president of the company, those were my goals. So I think my determination and hard work and my consistency and be, just being consistent as to what I'm doing, not waiting to, you know, it's review time, so let me work a little bit harder. <laughs> I, I, I just, and, 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 work, and also working 
not by a clock. I don't look at a clock when I work. I, you know, I'm like a doctor. I'm like a surgeon. I'm on call all the time. And, you know, I always, in claims, just like claims is customer service as well. You treat others as you want to be treated. And, and I think that go, that goes a long way. Be professional and just give it an honest day's work. Give you know, be all be honest with yourself when you are doing things. Just be diligent and try to take the extra mile, just like the movie um, uh, Pursuit to Happiness, where he didn't take water breaks. He the odds were against him. He found ways to get the edge on others. And for me, it's just natural. I just I work hard. I don't like to leave any stones unturned. And and you know it, it's it's just all about the desire you have inside. Um, and it'll take you as far as you want to go. So that's, well, it's that's obviously worked out for you. <laughs> yeah, so. That's great advice. Yeah. And did you like, and you mentioned you have two, now you have two adult daughters. Did, did, you know, are they have any interest in following your career path or did they just go a completely separate way from you? You know, th- <laughs> what, what they always say about the, about, about their old dad is that, Ah, insurance is boring. Uh, you know, uh, you know, my, 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 uh, older daughter who's turning 29 tomorrow actually is a, op, you know, she has a major in operation management and she's also, and she's going to, um, she's going into uh, physical therapy. She's looking to own her own physical therapy company. And my younger daughter is actually followed in my footsteps that I wanted to do. She graduated from Wagner college and has a degree in uh, c- computer science, and she's you know pursuing her career in IT. She's actually running another a company remotely, running their IT department. So she's she's actually live doing what I dreamed of doing way back when. So, uh, but they they have no interest <laughs> in the in the insurance field other than me paying their their car insurance. That's pretty right. much it. <laughs> well- I guess they learned one thing, the same thing that you knew when you, when you applied to that job, that you knew that your parents paid your car insurance. Yes, exactly. But they did, I, I see a theme that they did learn the hard work and determination from you, though, because it sounds like you have two very successful, hardworking daughters. They, they might not be insurance, but they, they followed your footsteps and, and they saw what, you, they saw your example and followed it. Yeah, exactly. They, you know, they worked hard. I mean, obviously, they 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 grew up in a different time where there were a lot more opportunities, and but you know they, and they're a lot smarter than I am anyway. Uh, but they, uh, yeah, they they work hard. They worked hard. They went to school. Um, they went to, to grad school. I mean, they've they've achieved a lot of things, and I and they're going to surpass me uh, financially at some point in time. They're going to be a lot more successful than I ever was because, you know, because there's just more opportunity, times have changed. And, you know, my, my career is, is somewhat, you know, I'm almost halfway through it. I'm going to be near retirement, you know, someday soon. So I'm I've probably reached my peak as, as far as, uh, you know, being sharp at what I do and, you know, being successful as what I do, but the, but what, what I instilled in my daughter's you know, it's just hard work. Be, just be honest with yourself and try to be the best. And that's all you have to, all you have to do is just try to be the best. Yeah, just I just instill hard work and just just be the best. I always say I watched the movie um, Men of Honor when the Robert De Niro asked Cuba Gooden Jr. What makes you try so hard? And he and he says my father always said be the best. So just try to be the best at what you do, no matter what you do. It could be, you know, washing your car. It, you know, it could be the way you dress, dress to dress for success. Uh, and, and just like I said, because that, that's something that they can't take away from you. If you give it your very best and you are the best, there's something that they can't say that they can't take that away from you. So if I gave them anything, that's what they got from me. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Well, and one thing that, that I thought of when you were talking about how you're nearing kind of the end of your, your career and your arc, how do you feel about that? Like, do you, are you like, sweet, now I get to, soon enough, I'm walking into the next, the next phase, or do you have a feeling of like, oh, like, shit, (laughs) (laughs) or is it a little bit of both? Well, you know, it's one where, you know, we, you know, we talk at my job, you know, we have, you know, we have some younger greenhorns that came through and, 
and me and a couple of the other people have been at my company for a very long time and say, you know what, you guys are the, you guys are the heir to the throne here. And so sometimes you think about it and you, you say to yourself, you know, wow, it's just seemed like it was just yesterday when you first started in this career. And now, you know, you've been into this you know, industry for 30 some odd years, you've met friends, you've lost people who you've worked with before, who've, who's passed on, who, and you remember those people, especially for me, some of my mentors who were at were my age at the time when I started my career after college and stuff, and how you know some of them have passed on due, you know, due to uh, age. Um, and now I look at myself as like, wow, I'm in a, that position that they were in back when I started, where I'm mentoring and teaching and and, and watching, you know, the, the industry grow. And this industry has really grown because there are more and more people that are really in, um, into um, and interested in the insurance industry. Uh, we're getting a lot more younger people who are interested. Well, back in the day, you couldn't really find uh, people who were really interested. Insurance was kind of last on a totem pole when you took a college survey. Nobody nobody wanted to do it. But now things things are opening up. It's it's really an opportunity for a lot of the, of the younger people. So, uh, you know, I, I'm blessed to be able to, you know, extend and, and give my knowledge and give my advice to some of the younger professionals that's coming into the to the industry. Yeah. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I think it's going to be a more a of a uh, eye opener when that day comes when it says, you know, it's time for me to pack up. You know, and it's not, it's not, um, it's goodbye, but um, I'll be around that type, that type of thing. I think I, I still will be somewhat uh, contributing to the insurance industry. You know, that could be as a consultant or maybe a, a, a mediator of some sort like that. So I, I don't see, I see myself walking away from the actual claims department, but still being used as a resource. Uh, up until uh, whenever, you know, my mind starts to go where I cannot contribute anymore, so, yeah. which I hope doesn't happen, but who knows? I hope so, I hope so, I hope so yeah. too. Um, and that is something I, I've heard a lot. It's a theme that when, whenever I talk to, you know, seasoned veterans in, in the industry that, that walk, just walking away and walking away from claims doesn't come easy. I, I've talked to people who've walked away and then came back actually if multiple people have walked away and then come back and others who just they keep you keep staying involved and i think it's true for the legal industry too i think lawyers have a very hard time just letting retiring. go yeah i mean right i i think as you've and i mean maybe it goes with other industries as well but i think you've spent so much of your life doing this and you can't you you're so passionate about it it's hard just to be like okay i'm done i don't <laughs> you can't just turn your brain off to it yeah you, you can't no, no, you can't, you can't really, you can't turn it off. And, you know, sometimes just like, you know, my daughter played college basketball. Uh, I played basketball at some point in time. It's time where you say, you know what, it, you know, it's just time to do it. And I look, I know some people, uh, one of my mentors retired uh, like 10 years ago. I still keep in touch with him and he's enjoying his uh, retired life. He's traveling and, and doing things. And, you know, he, he was, they even tried to drag him back in to try to be a consultant because now I've said I'm retired with my wife. I'm just going to enjoy my life. I put in my hard work where you have some people who, you know, it's like a football coach of, you know, um, you know, say like a Joe Paterno, for instance, when Joe Paterno was coaching, he was lively. Nobody knew he was sick. You know, when he stepped away from the game, he sort of faded away fast. So some people really need that connect where they still need to be part of something. Um, if, because if it's just like football players, sometimes you don't have a backup plan. And then when you don't have a backup plan, there could be problems. I have a backup plan, uh, you know, so I, I have other things in my life other than, than insurance, sure. you know, so it's always good to, uh, again, it's always good to plan. You don't want to consume your life in something where you're putting all your eggs in one basket, because if it's ever taken away, you know, you need really something else to fall back on. So, and that's what I try to tell people. And I also try to tell people as well, the younger, younger people, especially is, yes, you put in a hard day's work, but do not let it consume you. You have, you have to balance your life. It, you actually, you're, you're actually more productive when you balance your life. You know, you put in the day's work and sometimes if you have those projects you have to get done, it's all about time management. So you just have to have the time management in place where you're not burning yourself out because you can suffer burnout 
in this business if you let it happen to you. So it's one where, you're, especially when we're working remotely, uh, where I think the industry is more going to like a uh, flexible schedule where you're going to be working remotely at times. Some people are isolated and some people don't have discipline as to when to turn off the switch, when to go take a walk. And what I tell people is, just because you work more than somebody else doesn't mean that you're more productive than somebody else because it's all about what you're doing within that time. If your time management is poor, you're going to be, you know, it's it's like trying to mow grass, but then you have a, a lawnmower that's not cutting very well, and then you can keep doing it over and over again and still not done well. You have to, you I find out the best the best claims professionals are sharp, which means that they are sharp, they're rested. Their life is balanced. They're not putting everything all in one basket to where they're burning themselves out. And then when you burn yourself out, you make mistakes, you get irritable, and you you don't really look forward to anything else. Uh, so sometimes you just got to say, you know what, I'm taking my vacation. I'm not responding to emails. I'm not going to look at my emails. I'm taking my week off. Take your week off. Get your rest because the work's not going anywhere. It's going to be there when you get back. So uh, so it's all about learning how to balance your life uh, and balance your work uh, just to keep everything as a whole and not focus just on one aspect to where it's do or die. How do you do that though? Like for instance, how, like you specifically, how do you turn off your brain? Because sometimes when I have like a, like a heavy claim that I'm working on or, you know, like a, a real bad accident, if it's a personal injury case, you know, they stay with you. We're still human beings. We're, you know, we're reviewing things, we're reviewing medical records. Um, you know, whatever the, the claim might be, it does, it stays with you. Like how, how do you find ways to kind of turn that off? So you can have a normal life as well. Well, I, I equate a claim, excuse my expression, but I equate a claim to like a vehicle, a car. So when you work on a claim file, can you spend all day working on that one claim file? Uh, just like a car, does a mechanic spend all day working on one customer's car? No, they have to balance out and say, okay, you know, I'm going to spend, like, I always say, have a schedule for your day. So from usually some people say, you know what, some people are stronger when they wake up in the morning. They're more focused on stuff. So you take the most difficult stuff and you do that first. So, you know, say, for instance, you have to review medical records and you need to spend a couple of hours looking at the medical records. Just mark that and say, you know what, I'm going to spend Monday, I'm going to get up uh, eight o'clock in the morning, and I'm going to review those medical. And then you have another schedule, say, okay, I'm done with that. And you have to learn to move on from that because, for instance, I'll give you an example. I just worked on a 15-page uh, case evaluation. I couldn't finish the 15 pages in one day, nor, nor, nor was I going to try. So what I do is I say, you know what, know your due dates. So that's the key. When right. is the when is it due? So if it's so you know what, I have a week to get this done. So then you start you know you have to balance out. And say okay, I'm going to spend thirty minutes a day working on this here, till I get it done. So you have to have the time management to get it done. Now if you are always under pressure and under the gun, that means something is wrong. Either you're just being bombarded with too much work, or you're not managing your time carefully. Because again. Claims, you're right, it does live with you. You, you, you can go to bed, and if you go into bed and you're thinking, oh, God, you know, um, I got to finish this report here, and I got this big meeting I got to prepare for. And Dreaming people, about settlement values and right. <laughs> at night, haunting. And I can't speak for everyone else. You know, how I handle uh, these things is, you know, I, I, I just have a schedule. I know my strengths. I know that certain parts of the day I get tired and I'm going to be less productive. So there's, there's a, you know, you have your day where you can set aside, okay, now I'm going to return phone calls. Okay. I'm going to call right, this right. person back, that person back, that person back. And if you're going to review medical records or, or if you're going to review a bill of particulars, or you're going to, or you're going to review a, a statement from the insured, you have, to, it's really about just writing down the time, just keeping track of your time, because if you're spending too much time, on one thing, then you're going to fall behind on the other stuff. Yeah, it, you know, move on. Right. Now, if you're preparing for like some attorneys, well, you know, I'm not an attorney, but some attorneys are preparing for trial. They basically have to drop everything that they're doing to prepare for that trial. Right. It, 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 again, 
you're not going to have if you have three or four trials then that, at the same time, then that's a problem. Uh, but um, <laughs> that, know, that is a problem. Yes. Right. <laughs> that's a problem. Right. But you know, any any attorney who heard this is really cringe. Right. You know. So uh, you know. But look, if you're taking vacation or you're taking a day, you're taking a couple of days off. That's just to recharge your battery. You need you need to recharge. You need to you need to really step away. My CEO. He goes to Africa and everywhere else. Nobody can get a hold of him when he's out for two weeks. So I said, look, if he's in, if he's entitled and he and he tells me, Derek, you need to do this thing. You need to walk away when you can't overwork. You can't work 15 hours a day. It's it's, it's not productive. Um, you have to really take that, you know, seriously. So it's all right. about it's all about writing down if you if you got a busy schedule, write down the time. Say, okay, I'm going to attack this at 10 o'clock. I'm going to work on this from 10 to 11.30. And if I can't finish the day, then the next day I will take another day and say, okay, I'm going to work on this from 10 to 11.30. And sometimes, you know what? Unfortunately, in this business that we're in, we sometimes we may have to take, if we're not doing anything and we're home that weekend, or or we can get up. Uh, there's times that I get, I've gotten up at 3, 4 in the morning. You know, I go to bed early because, you know, Sometimes you're shot, you can't really contribute anything and you can't really, your eyes start getting cloudy. And so I, I'm misspelling <laughs> stuff. I said, look, let me get some sleep, wake up. I got this from college actually, where I did a lot of my studying and stuff. We, you know, sleeping early, then waking up at like three, four in the morning where my mind is fresh and just get things done. And sometimes if you do have those heavy, heavy projects and there is some some sort of a deadline, sometimes you may have to put in that extra time uh, that may not be company time. It may be your own personal time. So you may have to get up at, at five in the morning, that Saturday morning before you take your kids out to the, you know, to the uh, great adventures or something and say, you know, let me spend a few hours here, get this done here. But, you know, once you step away from that computer, once you go out and stuff, that's your time. Uh, and, and you just have to really balance that. And, you know, look, if sometimes, you know, I've had people come to me and says, look, I'm overwhelmed. I have, to, I have so many things to do. I, I feel like, you know, and I just say, okay, what do you have? Tell me what you're doing. Tell me what the situation is. Cause it's always important to speak up as well. If you're feeling like you're in, cause it can be a quicksand. Once you fall behind on one thing, you start falling behind on other stuff. Then that's when people get discouraged. So it's all about also communicating with management and stuff where if it's somewhat, it, cause it does get overwhelming at times. Cause say for instance, three or four people on vacation. Like this week, uh, one of my guys uh, is out in Croatia. He had the death in the family. The other guy caught COVID. So guess what? Derek is running the entire claim department, and I'm <laughs> doing a bunch of stuff. And I just came back from California on Sunday at 2 in the morning, so I had jet lag for a few days. This was one of those trying weeks that, I had, that I've had where I had to balance, where I finally went into my boss yesterday and said, I said, Frank, I said, I'm really – overwhelmed here. I said, I really need, I, I, I need to, I need to leave for the day. So I, I left for the day, got home, slept a couple hours, which I really needed. And I got back on a horn on, on a horse again. And I just did it again. So it's all about being able to adapt and, you know, being able to just speak with people. So sometimes you can speak to a coworker and pick up the phone and say, look, can you handle this for me here? I have to really do this here. Or can you assist me on this here? So it really works out, especially at, at my company. We're, you know, we're team players where I step in for people where, you know, a guy was sick yesterday, wasn't feeling well. So you know what? I'm going to step in, do a few things for him. That way, when he comes back, he's not overwhelmed. Or you could also speak to some people where there's people that take vacation. And when they come back from vacation, I'm not going to start giving them new, new claims. I'm just like, give them a day to catch up on their emails and do some things. You don't overwhelm them. So you have to really think smart and be practical practical as well uh, when you're uh, working claims and when you have a staff. Um, uh, and again, it's all about teamwork. Sometimes, you know what, I have to work on this here. Can you help me with this here? Right. And, you know, and, and that's, and, and that's, and that, that's what being a team. It's all about. That's what makes a company very successful. Uh, just as my company, we're very successful. We've been working together for years and we work as a team and that's how you're successful. One falls behind, you help the other one up bring them up to speed and that's how you go. So do you think your experience as like a college athlete really like provided you the basis in, in that 
time management because you know in college you have your you have your basketball practice and you have to juggle that with with schoolwork and things so you really early on had to learn how to manage your time very efficiently yes i i i actually team sports i played football um in high school basketball i played basketball in college but if you look at it uh in my am my actually my ceo is a college referee and he wow. says that he organizes his company as he would a football organization. You know, you have your head, you have your coaches, you have your assistant coaches, and, um, um, and and going back to and going back to college. College helped prepare me as far as time management because remember I had to balance sports, classes. Um, I had to I had to balance you know participating in, in music. So you know, and, and everything was a schedule. You had to spend a certain amount of time working on your academics. You go to study hall. You had to work in study hall. Then you had to do two, three hours of practice. Um, so it, I think it really helped me, and I did struggle, uh, just like most athletes did struggle. Where I, you know, I did have, you know, a financial, you know, if, not a financial aid, but I had a student, um, uh, one of the student advocates, where the we were a mentor. But he kind of helped you along and stuff like, you know, especially as a freshman in college, you're trying to go here, where's we're here, what do I do here? And then all of a sudden, if you have to cram for a test, but then you got practice at 6 a.m., you know, not, you know, back in those right. days, coaches were like, look, son, we gave you a scholarship for here to play ball, not do, uh, you know, you could take <laughs> some basket and weaving courses, you know. Um, but even basketball, uh, like learning the plays. I, you know, it helped you pick up, pick up on things quick, quickly. That's why I think it helped me as being a quick learner. You pick up on different things, you know, uh, learning plays, following direction, taking direction, um, being a teammate, being a, you know, a team player. And I think that's what attracted uh, a lot of, um, a, a lot of carriers uh, to me because of my background, as far as being a team player, because that's the most important part. Can you work well with others? And I think working well with others uh, on a basketball court helped, you know, flow over to the the work industry, the employment industry, and 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 it really helped. By by the time I became a senior, I was a mentor towards a, to a freshman on the team to help them. So okay, you know, these are your classes here. You have required study hall. You have to do it at this time here. So everything was on a schedule, and I found out that that really helped when you went into, when I went into the, into the employment industry of how keeping things scheduled can help you along. And it helps because it breaks it down instead of this one lump sum here, you're breaking it down into sections. Okay. Here, you're going to do this here. You're going to do that here. You're going to do that. And then it keeps everything in even flow. And then, like I said, it really did help in the insurance, in the insurance industry, as far as um, time management, team play and able to organize. And that's one of the strengths that, you know, a lot of good claims professionals have is being organized and using their time efficiently. Because sometimes you can use your time, but if you don't use it efficiently, then you're sort of wasting time. Right. Yeah. I, you're like speaking my language because I, I, I think back to even high school, I, I always had like a, one of those paper daily planners and I would schedule like from this time to this time, I'm going to study this class. And then from this, and I, and I still do it today with working on cases. I, I, I block it out. I'm like, okay, I have my checklist and I, I schedule out my, my time. Now do it. Does it work exactly? No, but I, tr I need that to be like, to compartmentalize what I'm going to do when, whether even be like, okay, this is when I'm going to answer, go through emails. This is when I'm going to do phone calls. And I also structured after like, okay, I know my kids are going to be home at this point. So if I want to do any heavy thinking, it's not going to happen after, you know, 345 when they're coming and bothering me asking for snacks every 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something I learned in COVID too, to have to like. <laughs> have snacks ready at all times. Yep. <laughs> Can't even get started on the, the snack basket. Uh, <laughs> but I love hearing like about your you know, your background in sports and kind of how it just seamlessly parlayed over to, to Seneca. And like, you kind of found the perfect spot for yourself. Like, it sounds like your CEO and you are like a great fit and how he runs this company and how 
you kind of fit into the whole the whole package. So it's like you found your unicorn. Yeah, the look, <laughs> I, you know, it's why I sat with my CEO a few weeks ago, and you know, we we sort of uh, we we're kind of we have the same type of personality. You know, we you know, like myself. I'm kind of no nonsense, you know, but I get along well with others, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a business, you know, I'm a businessman. I, I always think of the bottom line, you know, and I, I do take things. Uh, sometimes I take them very, you know, personal. I, t I take my claims personal. If there's, if, if my claim is being reviewed by audit, uh, by an auditor and stuff, you know, I look, I just look for perfection and it's nothing, nothing wrong with that, but you know, you have to realize that nobody's perfect. But I try, you know, I always, tr you, you always try to be as, as good as you can be to where if you were reviewing another person's file, what would you look for? What would you, you know, what, what characteristics are you looking for? Are, are you looking for somebody who's spent putting in a lot more hours or are you looking for someone who's working nine to five? And then after that, you don't hear from them again until the next day where they shut everything off. Um, but, you know, this company has been, great to me. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've only been at actually three companies, but it's really two. I started at Hartford, then I went to Crum and Foster, but then I, then I went to Seneca, but then Crum and Foster purchased Seneca, so I wound up being <laughs> back here anyway. Uh, but I've been at this company, uh, uh, June will be uh, 26 years at Seneca, and I have to say it's been greatly rewarding, and it's very little, very little turnover, uh, especially in the claims department. Underwriting is a bit different because underwriting is just the big, the biggest portion of of any carrier underwriting. So, uh, but but for claims, it's it's been like a family here. I've had opportunities to go elsewhere, uh, but I feel at home here, and I I just feel like everyone's family. The CEO of the company has treated me very fair and has has rewarded me for for my hard work, as well as my senior vice president and and all my peers. And coworkers have been very supportive uh, of me, and you know it, it's all about just. I always, like I said, I treat people the way I want to be treated. And you treat people with respect and working with others, and that's the key to being successful. Is being able to. It's like you can have a coach of a team where the players can't stand them, and you may not really get much out of those players because um, they're disgruntled. But if you can find that medium where, you know what, we will, we will die for this coach here. We will give him everything that we got. And that's how I feel about my company. That's how I feel about my CEO or my senior vice president. I will give them everything I got. When I go to mediations, they'll say, Derek, you need to, get, you need to settle this case here. And I say, you know what, I'm either going to settle this case or they're going to carry me out on the shield. <laughs> and so that, so it, it's, it's been a real... Um, it's been a real great ride at, at, at Seneca Insurance Company. Uh, and I, I wouldn't take any other company over this company here. I, I, I love hearing that because I mean, in these days people move around so much and, and there's nothing wrong with moving around either. Um, but I also like it, it's hard to find these days, someone who's spent the majority of their career at, at one one place and and speak so fondly of it so it it kind of I have this like warm feeling around my heart right now <laughs> hearing <laughs> that but in your time you know how have you witnessed the insurance industry change and evolve well we could start back from the <laughs> yeah I probably got going back when I actually when I left Hartford you know, we were on paper files. And then when I got the Seneca Insurance Company, we were still doing paper files. You know, so one of the things that changed is the automation, you know, as far as technology. And, you know, some of, you know, some of the old guard, you know, eh, I may be guilty of it a bit too, even though I was a computer guy. Uh, oh, you know, I got to have my paper file. You know, I, I can't live without the paper file. You know, you know, you know just, just uh, what's changed, just change was just the automation the computer the technology the the way that you know everything used to be by mail now everything's by email it's not even you really don't get phone calls anymore everything is is email because everybody wants something documented uh what what I, what I, the other changes that i'm seeing is or it's also the um a lot of younger people are entering the insurance industry to where back then you didn't really 
have a lot of younger people younger people that were interested in the insurance industry. What what we're doing and a lot of carriers are doing now is we're setting up, you know, college days where college fairs where, you know, we are having tables to invi inviting students to come over and try to recruit students, uh, college graduates to the insurance industry. I, I, the, the pay has definitely gotten better. Uh, I think that's another att attraction as well. And also now, uh, unfortunately, because of COVID, the flex schedules as far as being able to work from home and then, you know, coming, you know, coming into the office a few times a week. I think that's a big attraction yeah. to a lot of the young talent. What you do see these days, though, however, is he's alluding to, like, I'm one of the rare breeds that stays at a company this long. You have a lot of people that are just moving because they feel that they get bigger salary boosts when you move. So sometimes you get 15% boost every time you move. So and there's nothing wrong with that, you know. Uh, but that, uh, you know, that's just that's just life in general. People move around. You know, you're entitled to make more money if, you, if you're being offered more money elsewhere. I think the there's more there's more litigation now than there ever was uh, back then. I just think it's because you have social media, you have you know Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, et cetera. There's more advertisements. There's billboards everywhere. Uh, back in the day, I mean, I've tripped and fell when I was a kid. My parents didn't sue anybody, <laughs> but now you know if you have, if 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 you if you break a nail these days, there's a there's there's a there's a claim being filed. So there's a lot more claims being filed. There's a lot more litigation being filed these days. So then there's a there's a just a uh, more of a need for more claims professionals out there. And there there's uh, underwriting business has increased as as a whole as far as uh, company profits are concerned. Uh, companies have grown throughout the years, and especially during actually during this pandemic here. Uh, Companies have thrived financially. The carriers have. I mean, other industries have not, not, not so much, such as law firms, investigators, just businesses in general. But carriers have really benefited from the uh, from this uh, COVID pandemic, to where we are more flexible now. We we can hire more more talent. We can be more competitive with uh, salaries. So the the industry is 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 really evolved as far as you know. The amount of claims coming in, the type of claims is coming in. The attorneys are being more. The plaintiff attorneys are more creative. Uh, there's more specialized um, talent as far as uh, attorneys and insurance. Uh, insurance in general, there's a lot more. For instance, you may have uh, claims professionals that specialize in bond claims. You may have uh, claims professionals that specialize in just labor law claims. But back in the day, you just had a claims professional that just handled everything. You know, you had these multi-line, and I think we're getting, uh, we're not really into more of the multi-line. Uh, I think we're more into the specialized uh, as far as the profession is, uh, is concerned. Um, you know, these, these underwriters are writing specific types of books, and they want specific types of, types of claims people with a specific talent to handle those particular types of claims. So it's not one where you have a geo, a geo examiner that can handle first party property and handle workers comp and handle auto. Those, those, I mean, you still have some that uh, some, some carriers still may have some people like that, but I think that's kind of grown out to where you have specialized departments, such as at Seneca, we have a property department and we have a casualty department. Uh, we don't really have one person that's doing kind of doing both. Uh, we want to really specialize and that's what get, that's what gives us a uh, advantage in the market as far as pricing to where we can say that we have specialized professionals that handle this particular line of business. Uh, so so that that's changed uh, pretty much. I think also what's changed is, is that the there's more networking. Uh, back when I worked at Hartford, I had no clue who underwriting was. I never met an underwriter. I mean, maybe there was an inter-office memo or something in those three <laughs> snapouts that we had, but uh, now we, you know, underwriting and claims are intertwined. I mean, there's not a day where I don't go into the, uh, speak to an underwriter or two and chat, talk. If there's something about a particular risk that we're concerned about, I, I can pick up the phone or I can send an email to underwriting and alert them. So there, there's more communication um, now than way back when, where um, back when underwriting, uh, underwriting was considered the uh, 
king of the throne and claims were just like on a low totem pole and we couldn't speak with these people. Now it's it's open. We're having a lot of, there's a lot of different um, expos and insurance uh, seminars where you have a mixed bag of uh, insurance professionals. You can have marketing, underwriting, claims, accounting. So it's it's more of, I, I think it's it's more intertwined now than way back when, when where one didn't know what the other was doing. Um, and, and that makes it that makes it better for for the insurance industry because wouldn't an underwriter like to know that you know what there's something wrong with this property here upon our investigation here you may want to send a loss control inspector out there to take a look and it gives the underwriter a chance to say look we're going to either non-renew this or you're going to we're going to raise our price here so the communication aspect between claims and underwriting has certainly yeah. um, took a turn for the better in my opinion and just having and I don't know about other companies but me having access to my CEO to way back when I didn't know who the CEO of Hartford was other than I saw a check that was that I got that was signed by uh, some, you know, by this president CEO. <laughs> they go into being able to go into the office, being able to talk, being able to be open um, and, and honest about certain aspects and and being a part of, of executive committee meetings to where, you know, you didn't you didn't even hear about these things way back when with uh, low level uh, claims professionals. So just just the entire industry as a whole has grown and I think it's grown for the better. And I think it's going to even get uh, better as time time goes on as it should be. So uh, those are the few things that I'm seeing. I'm seeing more there's more diversity yeah. in the industry than back when, uh, like I said, back in my day of Hartford, I probably was one of the few minorities that was uh, working in claims. Now it's, you know, and I'm so happy to see, I'm seeing, you know, CEOs and presidents and vice presidents, I mean, my, of, of minority descent. And and, and that's going to continue to grow as, as well. And, and and it's a good thing because it does attract more minorities towards the, the insurance industry to where back way back when there was just really not that much attraction and there was no outreach to a lot of minorities to uh, enter uh, the insurance industry. So that that's changed as a whole. And I think that's that's going to, you know, grow as well in the industry. So just a lot, a lot of changes, but I say they are for the are, are on a positive note. And I think it's just going to get better and better as, as time goes on. What do you think your specialty is? I know you mentioned that, like, uh, you know, some adjusters have a specialty. Do, what, what do you think is is uh, your your gift to the industry? I've, I always consider myself the, uh, I, I give myself the title, the negotiator. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm the guy that, you know what? I think that should be your tagline on your email. <laughs> it should be. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I, I travel, you know, I, I handle a lot of coverage coverage issues. I specialize in coverage. I specialize in handling uh, high impact claims such as fatality claims, labor law cases. I, I can hand, I handle a lot of mediations. Uh, I, I travel quite a bit throughout, throughout the United States. I attend mediations. I can have mediations with 70, 80 plaintiffs involved, habitability mediations. Uh, I specialize, actually, I specialize in handling lawsuits against um, the carrier. So right. if there's any suits filed by the policyholder against carrier, I'm involved in, in, in those type claims as well. So I do have some involvement in first party property uh, claims as well. But my, my specialty is, is general, uh, general liability. That's, 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 I mean, casually, that's what I do. I handle, you know, from my uh, uh, broken uh, kneecaps to somebody with five gunshot wounds wow. uh, to a fatality. So, you know, I, I, I do specialize in more of the BI bodily injury uh, side of the uh, spectrum at Seneca here. Uh, but I also handle a lot of heavy third party property losses as well. So it's fire claims, flood damages, uh, again, war a breach of habitability claims where people are living in uh, substandard conditions. And when you have these basically class action suits that's being filed. So I, I would say probably 85 to 90% of my caseload is probably in litigation. Right. And wow. I deal a lot with attorneys. I do. I manage a lot of uh, attorneys that's on our panel, pretty much give them direction, you know, work together, get the cases uh, resolved. And, and a lot of cases, it, as 
most of the industries knows is a lot of cases don't go to trial. A lot of them are mediated. So I, I step in, I do a lot of mediations. I enjoy mediations, actually. I, I like them in person. That's one thing I don't like about the uh, Zoom is that, Zoom and, the, yeah. you know, with, you know, unfortunately with COVID, things went to Zoom and now companies are actually saying, wow, this is, this is a money saver here. We don't have to send our people out on flights and hotels. We could do things by Zoom, but there's sometimes you do need, in, in specific cases, you do need that personal interaction to where, you know what, can I say hello to the plaintiff? I mean, you know, may I, you know, may I go shake the hand of the attorney for the other side, get to know the other side? Because sometimes it's about humanizing as well. It's not all about dollars and cents. It's about humanizing, saying, you know what, I'm not this grumpy old person that you think is behind the phone here. I'm actually a nice guy who I, I, we do want to get this case settled. And, and I do feel um, sympathy for, you know, for your client's injuries and hope that she gets better. And, you know, so, um, yeah, I, I, you know, like I said, I've been doing this for, I started out doing auto as every, I, most, most people who come into claims, the first, the first, the, the first line of claims that you're ever handling is auto claims, first party <laughs> auto claims. And then you go from there. I started out doing auto at the Hartford and then, uh, probably a good five years. Then I went into GL Then I supervised a bit when I was at an auto unit at Crum. Then I went to Seneca. And then ever since I've been, um, I started out as a claims rep and worked my way all the way up to assistant vice president. And then, you know, the, and hopefully higher than that uh, as time goes on, hopefully not right on the doorsteps of retirement, but uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> uh, so uh, yep. Polyandry is, is my, my forte, uh, my, my area of expertise, but I am equipped to handle a number of different aspects of the insurance uh, claims uh, out there. Now, when you mentioned that, you know, talk about mediations and negotiation, you know, is there, and we have, a, obviously we have a lot of attorneys who, who listen to this podcast, but are there, you know, any pet peeves you have um, or, or good points that you, you have that you notice in your counsel at mediations, like things that you just hate when they do this or you appreciate if they come to the table with, with certain things? Uh, do you mean defense counsel or do you mean plaintiff yeah. counsel? Well, I mean. Plaintiff's counsel too, but more, I'm thinking more for, so defense counsel, like, you know, cause I, I know every, every adjuster has a different mentality when they come to mediations and how right. they like mediations to proceed and how, how what role they want to play versus what role they want their attorney to play. Right. Sometimes, you know, the adjuster mm -hmm. wants to take control of the mediation and other times they want their counsel to take control. Everyone's a little bit different. So I'm just curious to see, you know, what your preferences are walking into mediation with your counsel? Well, I'm glad that you asked that <laughs> because you know I always tell my attorneys prior to the mediation, you're going to discuss the facts of the case. I'm going to hold the bag of cash, <laughs> and when it's time for me to chime in, I will chime in on a case. So, simple mediation. Sometimes I'll have these one mediations that last an hour. It's pretty cut and dry. Our counsel is going to argue the uh, facts um, of the case, et cetera. And, you know, and what I do, I like to have pre-mediation meetings with my counsel. Say, okay, this is going to be a strategy here. And, you know, we could say, you know what, we think the case could be worth um, $750. we are going to try, we want to try to bring this in for a certain amount here. We'll try to bring this in for like $450. This is going to be the strategy here. We're going to focus on this here. So we have some sort of a game plan before we go into the mediation. It's not like, you know, you get on the mediation here and then all of a sudden you don't know who's leading what, who's saying what. So we do have these pre-mediation meetings. And, and I always say to them, you're going to discuss because you know the case. It's been in litigation. I'm going to give you the opportunity because it gives me the opportunity to evaluate them to see how if they know the case and it because I know the case. I want to see if you know the case and and if you're going to basically use all the arguments that we discussed during the mediation. Um, I always try to tell my attorneys as well going into the mediations to not be confrontational unless because if, if it gets confrontational, that's when I get involved. I said, you know what? You sit back. I'm going to be the bad guy here. I always said the attorneys are going to be the good guys. I'm going to be the bad guy at these mediations. So, you know, I start out my mediation, 
I shake the hand of the the uh, the adversary, the plaintiff attorneys. If the client, and I always insist that the clients, uh, his clients are there, because it's good because you want to make sure that offers are being extended. Uh, and you know, and usually these mediations they separate you afterwards in in rooms, or they'll, they'll mediate or step out and talk to this person and that person. But it, mine's a straightforward, pretty much. I, I let my I'm confident we have counsel that's been on our panel for many years. We have a comfort level of working together, and also I have a comfort level because we somewhat come to a consensus on what mediator we pick as well. So some mediators are more interactive. Then you have some mediators that are just carrying the ball back and forth, carrying numbers back and forth. Uh, so uh, I will get involved in discussion of the mediation if it gets very spirited. And when I mean very spirited is to where if there's a, uh, if we're, we come to somewhat of a stalemate as far as dollars and cents here and what's being demanded and what's being offered, then I will get involved. I remember one case, that's what jams where there was a stalemate. I was with another co-defendant uh, carrier and that mediator did something that I've never seen before. And what that mediator did was he pulled me and the other claims person out from the meeting away from our council hmm. and put us in a room together with plaintiff counsel alone. And just us three had a discussion. The demand was like 4.5 million at the time. We had a come to Jesus moment discussion with uh, plaintiff counsel. After the meeting came back out and stuff, and that number went way down. And we eventually got the case settled. So it like sometimes like me, it depends on the type of personality you're dealing with as far as plaintiff counsel, as well as the mediators, how's the how the mediator is gonna go. And it also uh tells me if how much participation I really need to, to be involved in with this mediation here. Can I let my attorney carry the torch or do I need to step in? Uh, because sometimes the perception is uh, by plaintiff counsel is that defense counsel is scared. Defense counsel is trying to impress his client. Therefore, we don't know if the defense counsel is telling the truth. So sometimes, you know, the plaintiff, I may have to say to it at a mediation, I have the money. I make the decisions. I agree with my counsel. This is the story here. He's not. He's not. He's not telling you something that's not true. This is. This is what we believe in. If you want to get the case settled, and and I always say, at a mediation, when you're mediating a case, when both sides want to get a deal done, it will get done. It's always when one side is, just is coming there just to. Uh, for a fact-finding um, session rather than trying to get rid of the case. So it, like I said, it all depends. And, and you do have some media, uh, claims professionals that are somewhat, they don't want to get involved. They may be a bit shy. They are, if they feel, they don't feel as confident about speaking. So they'll just kind of sit back and let the attorney just carry the whole show. So uh, it, like I said, it depends on the strength of the plaintiff counsel and something you have to do your homework on who's plaintiff counsel. Is he a heavy hitter or is it somebody who they, they're sending in an associate who doesn't really know the case here to where you can kind of like uh, kind of steer him and kind of, um, you know, I'm not saying manipulate him, but uh, convince them that their case is not as, as big as they think it is. Yeah. So again, it's all about personality. It's all about preparation. And uh, my participation in mediation, it's usually, it, especially when you have, I have I had a mediation last week in California. It was seven insurance carriers there at the mediation. Everybody has a role when they participate in these mediations. And, so, you know, um, like we may have one person that may be more technical say okay you know what i'm doing a time on risk analysis here these, these are the percentages here and these mediations that last mediation i had was like nine and a half hours so towards the end at a stalemate that's when i step in i start pushing buttons so okay you know what i like to talk to plaintiff counsel alone put me in a room with the plaintiff counsel and i push buttons and i wind up getting you know and sometimes you have other people may not be kicking up more money and say, look, look at the finances here, pay more now or pay a lot more later on when you're going through discovery, depositions, and then the possibility of getting a verdict and getting hit with attorney fees. So it can be a lot more. So sometimes you have to not only negotiate with plaintiff counsel, but you may have an insured policyholder there and they may be pushed. Why are you paying so much money on this case here? 
then you say, look, if we don't settle the case, your policy does not have attorney fee coverage. Therefore, if there's a verdict, you could be on the hook for all of the attorney fees. And so, you know, it's like when you have mediation, you're really negotiating not with just plaintiff counsel. You could be negotiating with your own superiors because you may need more money to get rid of the case. You may come there to mediation because mediations are, are unpredictable because a lot of times these attorneys, plaintiff attorneys don't show you their whole bag of tricks until you get there. And all of a sudden you get, oh, I got a medical record here. That, wait a second. Oh, now I got to reevaluate the case. So do I do I cancel the mediation? Do I, do I take this medical record, review it? make some calls and you know, see if I can get some more money out of uh, my superiors. So it's just yeah. so many different dynamics in, involving uh, mediation. And it all, like I said, it depends on the personality of your defense counsel, the experience of your defense counsel, and how much rope you're going to give that defense counsel. And if you feel that there's some sort of uh, weakness there, you may have to step in and give him an assist on some of the uh, uh, different matters that may come up. Yeah, and sometimes it's the other defendants that can cause more havoc to the mediation than the opposing parties. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I, I mean, there's been so many mediations I've been at that like someone digs their heels in the sand for no good reason. And, and that can hold up settlements. Yes. Like everyone else is being perfectly reasonable except that one party. <laughs> we usually, uh, we usually use the, um, gang up approach so if you have it's like a, it's like you'd be if you're in a jury if you're in a, a room and you're deliberating and you know you got one hold out there then everybody starts beating up on the other uh one there and you know you have to use different type of tactics sometimes i what i use is i'll use a look i understand your position i understand that the you you know you're 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 paying more than what you want to pay but we're also paying more as well. And we, you know, I actually, my last mediation, I told the claims pressure, I said, we need you. We need you to push this over the edge here. Instead of being adversarial and, and beating up and, and threats, I go with that approach there because it softens them up a bit to where they'll think about it and stuff. And, you know, and, and eventually you, you, know, you get to, you push the case over the edge rather than getting them to be very defensive. You kind of say, look, everybody else here is paying more. We don't want to pay more but we really need you. And a lot of times they will think about it and come through. So yeah. that's my approach. Well, I hate to wrap this up, but we've been going for an hour and I feel like, I feel like we have an hour and a half of more, of more content. So we might need to do a part two with you, Derek. Sure, no problem. <laughs> but, to be continued. <laughs> but before, before we close up, I, I, I wanted to ask, ask you this, and we ask, I ask this of pretty much every guest that, you know, looking back now on, on your career and, and your, your, your life, you know, what piece of advice would you give your younger self that you could have utilized throughout your progression? I would have say that if I had to give myself advice back then, I would probably, well, actually, I would probably said, you know what, probably should have gotten a law degree. That was <laughs> number one. I first got a law degree. Well, I think that I should have been, I think I was a bit shy when I first came into the industry and, and now I'm just more open. I'm more confident. Um, I, I, I would probably say that I just, uh, if I had to change anything, I probably would have been more, I would have gotten myself out there a bit more, did more, more public speaking, you know, uh, did, you know, did more seminars, participate, participated a bit more and, and got to learn more about the other aspects of insurance. Cause I think back then I was just more focused on claims and I really didn't understand how the entire industry worked. And I'm now learning that. And I've learned that over the last 10, 10, 15 years of how the whole, like if one part falls, everything falls. Uh, I just think back then I was more, and, and, it, and it may have been the fault of, you know, people I worked for where I was just really segregated to just claims. I didn't know anything else. I didn't know underwriting. I didn't know marketing. I didn't know the other aspects, you know, the actuarial, how important the actuarial numbers are. I didn't really know how important reserves are. Like if you're 
not properly reserved, how that can really hurt the company at the end of the year when they're trying to figure out the company's finances. So that's 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 the one of the main things that I would have probably changed or probably would have wanted to learn more back then is just learning the how the entire aspect, how the entire insurance industry works as far as you know, claims, underwriting, finances, accounting, and just putting everything together. And this is how it functions, because the more you understand how a carrier functions, the better off you are and you, the better understanding you have as to why you have to do certain things as far as claims is concerned and why it's important and, and why maybe you may have gotten a good result, but then, you know, if you spent, you know, $100,000 on a claim to uh, settle for 25000 that's not really a good outcome, even though it looks good right. on the surface. So just learning, just being more uh, versatile as far as not just claims, but just the entire uh, insurance industry itself. Uh, I think that that's that was very important for me to learn during my later time. And I think if I, you know, like I said, if I'm teaching and I teach and teach people that's coming into the industries and say, look, you know, you have to learn about the whole schematic. You're not, it's not just claims that's important here. It's, uh, it's underwriting, you know, it's, it's, it's accounting, it's the support staff, it's rating, you know, it's loss control, things like that. Being able to look in the underwriting file. And uh, back where back then, I never got to look through an underwriting file. I didn't know what underwriting file looks at. Being able to look at policies, being able to understand why they charged a rate that they charge, why that depending on how much you pay on a claim is going to affect underwriting as far as either non-renewing an account or maybe increasing the premiums on the account, understanding why an insured is calling up asking saying, why did you pay so much out on this claim here because now my policy got canceled and I can't book, I'm trying to book with another carrier and understanding where they're coming from. Those are things that I did not understand back when I first started in the industry where I clearly have a picture as to how the whole thing works at this point in time. And I think those are great points because those are a lot of things I think attorneys also lack an understanding of Absolutely. and gaining that understanding helps us like better handle our our cases because we understand understand the backside and at, for the insurance company and the claim side. I mean, and the more that we understand about the, the bigger picture, like the better that we can do, and then the better that your file looks, and the you know, and everyone everyone can be happy. Yes. <laughs> you <know>? yeah, <laughs> so I think the more that we talk about all of this too, it's extremely helpful for everyone in, the, in like in our industry to like work together and have a better understanding of how like the whole machine works or how the whole team works to keep with that the team theme. Exactly. <laughs> well, Derek, I truly appreciate you taking the time and coming on. I appreciate talking to you. I love, I, I, I I'm, I'm serious. I think we need to do a part two because I feel like we only scratched the surface. I even feel bad like cutting you off, but I don't want to keep this long, much longer than an hour. Okay. We, we'd lose a lot of people. Exactly. No problem. So we'll have to do part two. Yeah, or sure. Hour two and part two. Um, but for our, our listeners out there, if you like what you hear, please remember to like and subscribe to The Defense Never Rests on Apple Podcasts. And you can also find us on YouTube at The Defense Never Rests Podcast. 